0: And I said to to the priest, um, when when do we get to the place where all the bones are? And he says to me, but sir, we are here now. And he turns on a flashlight and he points it down. And I realized that the, the cracking of twigs that I had heard was us breaking rib cages.
1: I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we're headed to the Yemrahana Christos Church in Ethiopia. We're going with photographer and author Paul Kudinaris. We'll talk about ossuaries, jeweled skeletons, and the beauty found in death practices the whole world over. More, after this. along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Where are you right now?
0: I'm uh, about uh, 20 minutes east of Death Valley
1: on the Nevada side. So pretty remote area.
0: Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it is. Like I said, you know, I'd like to get back into a city at some point in
1: time. (laughs) That's Paul Koudinares. He's a photographer and author. And for a good part of the pandemic, Paul has been living way out in Death Valley.
0: It's it's really sparse out here.
1: Well, he's been out there, Paul has been spending his time exploring the landscape. And by that, I mean going deep into old abandoned mines.
0: I don't yeah. advise anyone ever does this as a hobby, but if you're, <laughs> it's kind of like, it's one of those things like jumping out of a plane. It yeah. may not be a good idea, but once people get started, they just don't want to stop.
1: As he explores, Paul brings his camera and documents what he finds.
0: Yeah, um, the weirdest thing I have found uh, was maybe a month ago, this deer had apparently gotten spooked and tried to jump through a glass window and got stuck in there and lacerated by the glass. And he was half inside, half outside, half flesh, half skeleton. I found well, uh, just a lot of stuff like that. I found a chuckwalla inside a mine that had gotten stuck in a, a, a thing of chicken wire, and it mummified inside the chicken wire. So yeah, I found some weird stuff in those places.
1: In a way, these latest Death Valley adventures, they aren't that far off from what Paul Cudinaris does normally, does for a living. Paul travels the world and visits caves, catacombs, churches, crypts, and he documents death.
0: I have a PhD in art history, but my interest in art history has always been with the visual culture of the macabre and the occult and things of that nature, although I've also written a book about cats.
1: Over the last 15 years, Paul's visited sites where human remains are preserved, arranged, and used to create both a religious and often visual experience.
0: I'm most known for a series of three books about death, Empire of Death, Heavenly Bodies, and Memento Mori, uh, where I traveled around first Europe and then around the rest of the world and took a look at sites that were decorated with human bones and human remains and tried to understand how the display of these things fit into the spiritual life and why it was an important part of people's visual culture in these various historical periods. That's... I guess how I would explain
1: it. But the first time Paul came across one of these sites, he was on a trip to Ethiopia while he was still in grad school.
0: When I was at UCLA, I was probably like the Fox molder of the art history department. You know, it's like everybody else was working
1: on, you know, Rembrandt. And I was
0: like, no, I'd rather work on these old woodcuts about
1: werewolves. On this trip to Ethiopia, Paul made a special visit to the church of Yemrahana Christos. It's a nearly 1,000-year-old church built inside a cave. And it's one of Ethiopia's best-preserved churches from the Aksumite Empire, named after the Zagwe priest, king, and saint, Yemrahana Christos.
0: Yemrahana Christos, is he was a man, and he was basically the St. Patrick of Ethiopia. He's Hmm. the one who Christianized the country, because they're Orthodox Christians, mostly in that area. And he the rumor is that when he died, he was buried in that cave. The church is is actually pretty good size. And the only way I can describe it is it kind of looks like a giant stone and wooden sandwich shoved inside the mouth of the Hmm. cave. Really wonderful.
1: The climb up the mountain that holds the Yemrahana Christos Church is full of life. As you approach the entrance to the cave, there's green everywhere. There are vines hugging the entryway, juniper trees dot the mountainside. But once you step inside the cave, the green fades away. Nothing grows in there, it's dark, and all you can see is the church. But it was what was behind the church that Paul was most curious to see. So we climb up this mountain, and there's there's a monastery
0: set into the front of this cave. And so we get to the monastery, and there's still one priest who lives in there. And we talk to the priest, and the priest says, OK, sure, you know, I'll take you back. And we can look at, at the burial grounds. And so we're walking back there, and it's a cave, so it's very dark, pretty much pitch black. And I remember very distinctly as we were walking, you know, these sounds of these these twigs cracking under under my feet as we walked. And finally, I said to the guys, "This is very dark, and I didn't know if we were going to some place where there was light back there." And I said to, to the priest, um, "When when do we get to the place where all the bones are?" And he says to me, "But sir." We are here now. And he turns on a flashlight and he points it down. And I realized that the cracking of twigs that I had heard was us breaking rib cages because we were standing in the (laughs) middle of some dead God.
1: The Yemrahana Christos Church has attracted all kinds of people for nearly a thousand years. It brings religious pilgrims of all kind. But because many believe that the priest king Yemrahana Christos is himself buried there, It meant that this was a profoundly holy place and brought a very specific kind of religious seeker.
0: If you were preparing to die, you would climb the mountain yourself. You'd climb on your hands and knees wearing, you would already be wearing a funeral shroud. You'd climb the mountain yourself, get to the cave and crawl into the back of the cave and just lie down there and wait to die. The idea was, at least in theory, um, although you know it, it's a romantic story, so I don't know if it always worked out this way, but the idea, at least in theory, was by the time you know, you had, you had expended what was left of your vitality in the ascent, and by the time you got to the cave and laid down, you were prepared not just mentally but physically to die.
1: This is what Paul had quite literally stumbled into. The remains of nearly a thousand years of pilgrims leaving their bodies, their bones, in that cave behind the church. The visit would change Paul's life.
0: In many ways, probably discovering that place had a lot to do with me deciding to do the death books because it really got me hooked on finding these types of obscure sites.
1: Paul would go on to spend the next decade seeking out and documenting death sites like the burial chamber in Yemra Christos church. Whether it was ossuaries, catacombs, churches built out of bones, mummies, one of the most surprising things that he found about his work was how little these places or death practices in general had been documented
0: like a lot of people i was familiar with some of these famous ossuaries you know like the paris catacombs of course and places like that and i had been to the famous ones but at some point in the czech republic i realized how many other extraordinary ones there are that we just never talk about that aren't famous Hmm. because they aren't they aren't tourist attractions and they're just as good as the ones that are famous they're just as fascinating and They were, at one point in time, a very important part of people's spiritual lives. And we've kind of pushed them into the cracks just because we're so uncomfortable with the topic of death.
1: Paul traveled all over the world to see how different cultures treated and presented their dead. And along the way, he also came across some forgotten methods of presenting the dead, including a series of skeletons that would comprise his next book, Heavenly Bodies.
0: I first came in contact to them when I was finishing my book Empire of Death, the book about the charnel houses. As I was working in Germany, every once in a while, when I was working on the charnel houses, um, I'd go into an old church and someone would take me into a crypt or some other place and I would see kind of tucked away in a corner because a lot of them had been hidden in storage. I would see a skeleton completely covered in jewels, and then I would stop, like, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Let let's let's forget about the, the skulls and the bones for a second. I want to take some pictures of the skeleton covered in jewels. What's what's this
1: guy doing? I need to know about this. Created during the Protestant Reformation, these immaculate, bedazzled skeletons were basically part of the Catholic Church's PR response back to Protestantism. Well, the Protestants were busy protesting the gilded churches. And extravagances of Catholicism, the Catholic Church decided that they were gonna flex back. So they dragged old skeletons out of Roman catacombs, declared them martyrs, and covered them in jewels. Jeweled knuckles, jeweled teeth, jewels stuck right into the eye sockets. They said, You wanna see the glory of heaven? Take a look right here. It's kinda of like it's kind of like Liberace's version
0: of a morgue, and they're they're <laughs> utterly glorious.
1: After the Enlightenment, these bedazzled skeletons became something of an embarrassment for the churches, in part because most of the bones probably weren't the bones of martyrs, but just some random Roman fishermen. So they were destroyed or tucked away or forgotten. But Paul sought out every single one he could find.
0: And one of them, a very famous one, is named St. Pancratius, and he's wearing this glorious suit of silver armor, and he's always been in the church in Ville, Switzerland. And I was talking to the priest in Ville when I went to take some photos of him, and I said to him, so, you know, do you get people who um, who think it's kind of odd or, you know, off-putting to walk into a church and see this gigantic, you know, this full skeleton sitting there in a niche in a gleaming suit of armor glaring at them? And the priest said a great thing. He's like, actually, it's kind of helpful because it convinces the local heavy metal kids that going to church (laughs) is
1: cool. (laughs) Well, I would agree with that. I mean, it's the Venn diagram between Catholicism and heavy metal is occupied by these armored skeletons for sure. Yeah,
0: he's at the center of that intersection.
1: (laughs) Working so close to death so often, Paul has seen how different cultures perceive death. And while it's a taboo subject in Western culture, the opposite is true for most other places in the world.
0: I like to refer to death as a border. Um, you know, it's kind of a border between two potential uh, social groups: the you know the dead group and the living group. <laughs> and in in the USA mostly, and in Europe mostly, that border is very, very hard. You know, it's an impassable border, and we're supposed to stay on our side. We're not really supposed to try to invoke the dead across, it. to do so is kind of considered perverse or necromantic or something. But cross-culturally and historically, Our version of that hard border is very, very weird, actually, because cross-culturally and historically, it's always been a very soft border. Even in cultures that weren't putting skulls in their home or weren't decorating places with skulls, it's still often been a very
1: soft border. Paul continues his photography work at the border between death and life and is working on a book about pet cemeteries. Since that first visit to Yemrahana Christos church, A theme's been woven through much of his work. More than taking pictures of just elegant skeletons or telling stories about diving into unknown catacombs, it's been about blurring that hard border between death and life, and about giving these skeletons their proper due.
0: The one thing that I would like for people to see, aside, of course, from being more comfortable, like everybody else who's working in a kind of death-positive vein, we'd like people to be more comfortable with mortality and understand it not as a failure of the human body, but a natural function of life, you know, as as a transition rather than a terminus. But the one thing that, especially with the photography, that I would hope to accomplish Is having people appreciate these sites. If they can't appreciate the spirituality of them, appreciate them as incredible works of art.
1: Thank you so much to Paul Kudinaris for talking with me today. To see more of his work, check out his books Empire of Death, Heavenly Bodies, or Memento Mori. They're all super incredible. And if you want to look a little bit more at his desert adventures, take a look at his Instagram at Hexencult. That's H-E-X-E-N-K-U-L-T. I also want to give a special thanks to Guinevere Govea for all of her hard work on this episode. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. The production team includes Doug Baldinger Chris Naka
0: Camille Stanley
1: Willis Ryder Arnold
0: Sarah Wyman Manolo Morales Tracy Samuelson
1: John Delore Peter Clowney Our technical director is Casey Holford Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tindall and this episode was mixed by Luce Fleming And I'm Dylan Thuris wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you next time. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to keepitfunohio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com.